Restaurant Unstoppable episode 906 with Sue Betty. And I, I do think that our jobs, if you're hands-on in the restaurant industry, it's a demanding job. And you almost need to treat yourself like an athlete. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Unless you implement more technology in place of labor, you're going to be in trouble. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation? Or, where are you located? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experience is, has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green. And how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them. Your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And there's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and head coach of Bluebird Hospitality, Sue Betty. Sue, are you feeling unstoppable today? Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We already had a pre-interview chat a few days ago, and I, you have great energy, and I, I just love what you, you stand for, uh, being so active in all these different communities, whether it's fab or traveling to Aspen to speak on behalf of the industry and what you're doing for the Independent Restaurant Coalition. I just know there's going to be some good stuff in today's conversation, so I cannot wait to get into it, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, I had fun thinking about this. Um, I'm going to go with uh, let go of the oars. Mm, what, what does that mean to you? I, you know, I've had a lot of practice doing that the last couple of years, and I think it really means to me it's a good reminder that um, just to kind of stay centered, keep it chill, like let go of the oars, which is like to me action or doing something or saying something immediately is going to solve something and more – be observant, be the witness, stay to the center and just kind of let go of the oars. I think a, a more common way to say it would be like go with the flow, but that seems a little, uh, it's, don- it, well, you know, it struck a, uh, a chord with me. And I mean, honestly, like you, you being here is all kind of serendipitous because I just came back from Toronto. The reason why I was in Toronto is because I was going out there to uh, interview the author of You Can't Do It Alone, Matt Rolf. And uh, in that book, he talks a lot about the, uh, vulnerable base, vulnerability-based leadership and just giving up control, right? When you say let go of the oars, um, that's what came to my mind is like you and like the, the image I was coming through my mind is like, just trust the river is going to take you there. You know, like, and that's what your vision is. That's what your mission is. It's the river and the banks, right? But steering you just let go of the oars and trust your team that if you, if you've done if you've done everything right, you can let go and just let kind of let your team take you to where you said you're going. Does is that it's resonate? Completely it. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's the plan. I think, uh, you know, when we talk about earlier in my career, I really felt like my job was to grip those oars and row so hard, so tight, to do my job well. And, you know, what I learned over time is, you know, just being more relaxed, being more steady, um, you know, managing myself and my stress levels really created a better atmosphere for the whole company to be around. I love so. it. I love it. I can't wait to dive deeper in that. But where does it make sense to share your, your, your story? Because doing a little bit of research, it looks like you went to school originally for history with a minor in religion or re- re- religious studies. And then from there, you were a lacrosse coach. Then you went back to school for a master's in education. And two years later, you're opening a, a restaurant group. Does that sound about right? It's right in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think not highlighted in that is like the earlier part of my, my high school story, okay. my college story, so which was, was all restaurant and hospitality based. Yeah. Get into it. Like at that point, were you on track to be in the restaurant industry or like what was, how did you find yourself in the restaurant industry? My first job was in uh, Lake George, New York at a marina that had a restaurant, a bar, um, a cruise ship and parasail and boat rentals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was there for five years, um, all sorts of jobs, uh, booth person, bartender. I did, I did a year on the on the parasail boat driver. Nice. Um, and that was a very like tourist town, like classic upstate New York summer town. And I really enjoyed the whole atmosphere of hospitality. And I loved how 
every day was something different. Um, and it was really exciting, especially as a young person to be around like a lot of different people, a lot of different team members. And I think I, I fell in love with the industry then. Um, and then through college, uh, just continued uh, picking up jobs uh, in a variety of restaurant settings. I love that idea about the atmosphere of hospitality. Paint that picture of what that was specifically for you. You kind of went over it just briefly there, but like really dive. What do you mean by a hot, an atmosphere of hospitality? It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's always something happening. You're moving around throughout your entire shift. Um, there's always something to do. Uh, there's always kind of a new challenge to figure out. There's a lot of camaraderie, especially if you're, if you're working in a, in a nice team setting. Uh, there's a lot of laughs. Um, and at the end of the day, you're, you're just kind of having fun creating experiences for people. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that. You, you know, even as a teenager, I thought it was you know pretty cool to be uh, showing someone how to drive a boat and get them out in the lake. And um, I think I was hooked then. I love that. So reflecting back at this time, um, you weren't working, thinking to yourself, I want a career in hospitality. I'm going to own restaurants. That didn't click yet at this point, did it? I don't know if I knew that was a possibility at the time. Like, um, I had, uh, you know, planned to go to college in high school and was kind of just stepping through a normal experience that my brothers and sisters had done. Yeah, so I don't society told you you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, so um, I did know that uh, it was something that I was always drawn to. And I, I kind of knew that. Did you have any key mentors, any people that stand out in your mind of who kind of showed you what hospitality was, who paint that picture early on and left an impression on you? I think that it was probably the guests mm. and the, the folks that we were serving. You know, I think I don't have that one moment that I would say, like, I worked for this person early in my career and they really guided me. Um, I think it was really just being really observant about the guests and being really observant about my the team members, some of them were older who had kind of been doing this for a while and just picking up a lot of information as I moved from, from spot to spot or summer to summer. So before studying um I think your first round of education, college, I should say, was um, history in in religious uh, what was it? Religious studies. Before that point, any key like stepping stones in your your restaurant journey? Like you you were working at this summer was it a resort? You said uh, it's it was a marina. Okay. Um, uh, I, it was the type of job and the type of environment in the late nineties where it was like. Today, you'll be on the cruise ship bartending. Tonight, someone's not showing up. Do you want to work extra hours in the bar? Like, so yeah. it was a real, like... Community of professionals. Community <laughs> yeah. of businesses. Yeah. And I, I kind of moved throughout the, the whole space. Okay. Uh, so you end up in school. Um, history. I, I wish I had the appreciation for history that I have now then. All of a sudden, like, I'm fascinated by history. What was it about history that drew you in? Uh, well, I love to read. I'm not great at math. Um, <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, you know, I think both history and religious studies really captured my interest because it kind of helps explain like where we are today as people and as cultures. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, 
it's really fun to start understanding how like things unfold. Yeah. And to look back and see like this is kind of how th- you know this is the recipe for current situations, and is, that's that's really like in, at the college level what we were doing. Was is that what it, was driving you to get when you were interested in this? Is that what you were after? Is trying to figure it out, or is that kind of what you figured out after you dove in? I think it was what I figured out after I dove in yeah. and had, you know, a couple of cool professors that really like spoke to new things that I hadn't really been exposed to. Like who gets the right history and, uh, you know, who's written about in history mm-hmm. and who's left out of history and, and like beginning to understand all of that was really interesting. And I also enjoyed like the researching part and, and kind of looking things up and source materials. And I ended up doing my, thesis for undergrad on the history of skiing in vermont oh cool and i got to do a lot of uh like uh, research down the stowe area um which also got me to do maybe a, a pit stop at the shed brewery back in the day oh, when you know um so i think for me it was really about just learning about things and learning about people and learning about stories so you said something that really struck a chord with me you said and i'm paraphrasing here but when you first discovered what, what really pulled you in about the subject of history and just the, the study of religion is it kind of showed us how we got to where we are today. And it was for, for me, it was realizing that that made me passionate about it in my study of people and why we are the way we are and how we got here and how we coexist today. Why are we here? Why are we doing it like this? Our, the answers to our future are in our past. And I think what's happening right now with like anthropology and, uh, you know, uh, biological evolution or bio. Wow, man, I'm sound like a knucklehead, but you know, I'm like the study of us and how we are and why we are is, I think we're just learning so much right now. And like, we're literally going in like, in like digging things up that were buried 200,000 years ago. We're learning so much about ourselves and why we are the way we are today. Do you share that same? Yeah, totally. And you know, I think the other piece that's really interesting in like the history realm is creating a thesis about why we are where we are and like understanding what, what happened and then having to go back and like prove or disprove yourself through research and, it was cool to think like that. And I think what I learned most about that time was like, you really can figure a lot of things out yeah. like it. And I, I learned how to read and put together ideas in a way that was really helpful for, I think any work setting. Yeah. We, I think we underestimate to the role religion played in forming societies because it was because of religion that we were able to coexist in mass numbers because at, for the first time in history, we all could agree or at least a good group of a good amount of people could agree that this is what we believe. And it was that shared, that shared belief and values that allowed us to coexist in numbers greater than what we were evolved to 150, right? 150 relationships. But I don't know. I find that so fascinating. So um, do you reference that stuff today? Like what, what do you ever reflect back at that time? Do you use that information, that knowledge that you, you garnered then today? Yeah, I mean, totally. Maybe not in, you know, my specific day to day, but I think as someone in the food world and, um, you know, looking at recipes and like the origin of recipes and like the stories told in recipes and the cultures that are, you know, are exhibited in recipes is really something that I find really interesting. And, um, how do you use that? Uh, maybe more in just my general like awareness bank, you know, and more like I, I do think that, 
I've found it really helpful to honor the food. Yeah. And honor the the story of the food. But do and you share that information once you've you got it? Do you- not yet. Oh man, there's some opportunities there for you. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I think a lot of people do that well yeah. now, but it is, I just found like being able to like read, absorb, learn the story, kind of close your eyes and picture yourself there and imagine what it's like is it really brings everything alive and it makes like creating food more fun. Yeah, But your guests love that too. Your guests love to eat a story, not just the meal, but like, where did this come from? What's the story behind this recipe? Why is it this way? And when you can educate your guests, you're, you're tying uh, an experience with new wisdom. So when they think about that thing, they're going to remember you. It's like implanted like marketing where like you like imprint on people and like, it's like a sneaky way of like staying top of mind. I love that sort of thing. Yeah. I think it rounds out the experience. Um, you know, I did in our first restaurant, Bluebird Tavern was very much a story restaurant, like local farms down the street, origin of this dish, here's the idea. And, you know, what I did learn at the time was we moved away from that educational lens into like more of an open door, op- open doors lens, because I found that sometimes the educate created this forced forced or it could be superior in the wrong hands it could be feel a little like superior table side and i i think what do you mean by that superior table side like where you're like oh you didn't know this uh, let me tell you about you know that oh, that oh, voice and, yeah. and 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 which is fine but like i think for me bluebird has always been about um creating community and yeah. and creating experiences and i and i have maybe hit pause when I felt like we were getting a little soapboxy or a little bit maybe too particular because um, I always want folks to feel welcome here. And uh, it's really interesting when you have a really like foodie 20-something server that's so excited to help them make the switch from maybe being in that more educational frame to like... Less pretentious, more Share a little bit, you know, know, open doors for folks if they haven't heard anything, but really just not to do that without judgment, um, Mm. uh, which, you know everyone was always well-intentioned but i think there's a really nice way to share information in a fun and friendly way and i think that's really important i love that uh so any other i mean i'd love to see that you're a coach and that's a huge part of success in this industry we become coaches like we can't just expect to do it all ourselves we need to support the layers that we create between us and the work right so what were the big i mean reflecting back at that time what were the big lessons you learned about coaching that you think served you to this day my first, my first career, my first part of my career. Yeah, that, well, I that, think we kind of just skipped over that. So yeah, yeah. Like after you graduated, you you wanted to be a lacrosse coach. Yeah, actually, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Okay, um, I was uh, I played lacrosse in college, and I was successful, and um, I loved teams, um, and I loved uh, being on a team. I loved athletic like, competition, maybe not so much like the competitive part, but like the planning and preparation part for sure. And um, I was uh, had graduated college, and I was working for um, my family's company down in the Albany area of New York. And I saw this job pop up at a, a local college, and I thought that I would apply. It was Division One, so I was like, I'll apply, and they'll hire someone that's a little bit more qualified. But maybe I'll have my foot in the door to be the assistant coach. Um, but for one reason or another, I I did get the head coaching job. And, um, 
really started on like a three to four year journey in college athletics that was probably the best, most difficult job you can pick up right out of college. Best, most <laughs> difficult job. Why is that? I mean, it's a cool job. Yeah. I mean, you're coaching a college sport. You're in an athletic center. You're around other coaches. You know, you get gear. Uh, you're planning trips. It was a cool atmosphere. And uh, it's competitive. And you are very publicly, you know, viewed successful or not successful based off a win-loss record. And you're recruiting and, and dealing with high school students and their uh, parents, um, and then you have current team members and their parents, and then you have the students at the college, and then you have the alumni of the students at the college, and then you have the college administration. I mean, the amount of constituents that you had, I quickly learned, was a lot. A lot of pressure. And that it was a lot. Plus, yeah. if you're not winning, then your your job's on the line, I'm assuming, too. Like, is, like how does that even work out? Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think for me, it was real, you know, I was kind of dropped in to really figure things out. And um, I, you know, we were successful. And I would say that it was probably one of the hardest things I've done. And it kind of set me up for a career in the restaurant industry. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be great because we are coaches. Like it, we are leaders. We are constantly setting our team up for success. What are the biggest lessons you can reflect on during this four year or three year period of coaching? Cause you were a head coach and then you were an assistant coach while you went back for your master's, right? Yeah. I returned back up to Burlington. Um, and I returned to the college that I went to for undergrad and assisted there while I was, I was going to UVM for my master's for, in, I should say. Oh, my master's in education. Yeah. So coaching and education, two huge elements of being a successful restaurateur, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I went to uh, UVM, the University of Vermont, and they have a master's program in higher education and student affairs. And that's really like if, if you're going to continue in the coaching world, you have that master's degree in in. in the university realm and that's how you kind of grow as a career so my initial my initial plan for returning here was to get the degree and continue coaching okay uh so i was curious if you wanted to become a teacher or if it was to like maybe do something like along the lines of teaching parallel to athletics or something like that it was in university administration okay which is kind of an administrative degree which which really isn't helpful to have in, in your restaurant pocket too right um so it's a little bit more uh, student development mixed in with like organizational development. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I feel like these skills are just so valuable that you're learning because again, as a restaurateur, you cannot do it alone. You need a team of people, but you need to empower them. You need to educate them. Like in having this background in education and in coaching and actually being a coach, not just studying it, but like executing it. Like what are the biggest lessons you can reflect on? Well, I mean, I also was 22, 23, 24 <laughs> years old. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I picked up lessons that were right for me at that time. Um, maybe the school hard knock side was like really, really, really committing to being successful. I kind of equated with uh, long hours and overwork um, and a little bit of burnout there. And I, I didn't even remember that when I started the restaurant again. So I got to revisit that learning later. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that I, I did come across early on was maybe a glimpse of like hard work isn't always 
the best thing in the world. Um, it can kind of deplete you in a way because I, I did I did finish up my time coaching fairly depleted, um, and I really kind of tagged that to really trying to hustle to figure things out because I wanted to do a good job. Yeah. I'm happy you're saying that because this is something that I'm kind of struggling with internally myself right now is this idea is like, is working, we'll work, we'll putting in more hours and working 60, 70 hours a week, get you someplace faster. Arguably. Yeah. But at what cost, you know, 20 years later, you know, you finally get to where you are and you're like, I don't remember anything about, you know, how I got here. Like you're just working all the time. Like you don't focus on anything else. So I, I just think we could be much better about striking a balance and stop glorifying this idea of just being the hardest worker. Yeah. I mean, we're good at that in the restaurant yeah. industry. And I, I do, I think there's a discernment that you can make between like how you feel when you're putting those hours in, because if you're here, um, you know, working 60 hours a week and you're feeling good and you have good energy and you can maintain like a steady presence in the restaurant yeah, and you're enjoying yourself completely different then yeah. you know you're, you're 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 just here because there's some sort of control mechanism or you feel like you need to be or it makes you feel better or relieves your own anxiety or, or whatever is happening yeah if you're not if you can't cut it people are gonna think less of you or whatever but that's the definitely a, a, something that you see is that the most successful people in this industry are successful because they can put the hours in because they love it so much and i think that's so important to understand do you absolutely freaking love this thing because if you don't you might not it might not be worth it because of the the amount of work it takes, the amount of hours you're going to put in. What's going through your mind? Totally. I mean, I, I think that your presence at work and your approach to work and the way you feel at work is completely tied into how I don't even use the word successful anymore, but like satisfaction is yeah, important. Happy. I think happy yeah. joy, That's like all, all, really all those all those wants, pieces. Right? Like, um, why do we work so hard so we can be happy? So we can get somebody so we can feel secure. But like. In the pursuit of that, we like lose sight of all these things. I feel like, yeah. I mean, I, I, why do we work so hard? You know, um, maybe for me, there was a demonstration that I really cared about something, mm-hmm. and that's how I could demonstrate it to the world. Um, it's not about what you say; it's about what you do. Yeah, and you know, you know, get before there, get to work before everyone, and be the last one to leave. And I was really kind of raised where I would say that my family valued a work ethic in a way that it might've been in like spot one on, on how you approach life. And if you had a really good work ethic, it was praiseworthy. So I really took that to heart. You said your family, but there was, was there one person that really instilled this work ethic in you? No, I really think it's a family. It's like a family thing. Everyone's got it in one way or another. And, um, was it something that was said to you or just observation modeled said, Mm -hmm. I mean, it really was something that created that recognition Mm -hmm. and then when you i think you end up patterning yourself in the ways that you're early recognized yeah so if recognition is huge i think that's a big part of what makes us human is being seen being valued being recognized contributing because i mean i don't want to get but do do you agree with that statement i do and i don't because like i think you want to be ideally you know without any family criticism, you want to be recognized for being you and being the best you you can be. But I think a lot of times we're raised in environments where you're recognized hard work, achievement, you know, all these other categories that leave out maybe your spirit, Mm. but, you know, recognize the things that you do, 
which is great. But then you, I think you find yourself in life really tied into doing those things and they either serve you or they don't. Yeah. And I, I think there's been a, a couple times in my career where I really had to hit the brakes and recognize like my commitment to like outworking, out houring, hard working is not serving me or the company, even though I would get a lot of recognition from that. So a lot of people I feel like might hear that and argue that it is serving the company, but why do you think it's not serving the company? I don't think I could be as available for the team when I was depleted. You might be there in person and physicality, but are you really there? You know, I, I, I know that I have a better presence mm. when I've planned my work life and I have good downtime and I have good rest time. Yeah. And then when I can show up here with my full energy and be really aware and be helpful, be high fiving folks. Yeah. Compared to, you know, other parts of my career where I was here before everyone and here after everyone and it's kind of a blur and yeah. hopefully I said something nice. What's, but you what's, know what's better? Being here sixty hours a week at fifty percent or being here forty hours a week at a hundred percent? Yeah, What's I think it's better? a good question. I, I think it's just a good thing for folks to to look at, you know, like how do I show up the best? Yeah. What do I need to do to engineer my week so I'm at my best? I think that's where some of the coaching, like, you know, when when I was coaching in athletics, you're really looking at performance. And performance was not just about, like, training and practice and skill, but it was also about, like, rest, recovery, fuel. And I, I do think that our jobs, if you're hands-on in the restaurant industry, it's a demanding job. Absolutely. And you almost need to treat yourself like an athlete. Totally. You, I mean, yeah, we, we, like an athlete, we are 100% dependent on our bodies, uh, especially if we're on the floor, you know, like we are athletes. We're pulling more hours than athletes are, you know, it might not be extreme like bursts of athletic performance, but it's, it's, it's a marathon, you know, in that regard. I mean, I have a Fitbit. Yeah. I never <laughs> many, have to worry. How many steps are you doing? What's your average? <laughs> <laughs> but no, totally. Uh, so and I'm happy you went there because when I, when I asked you that question, like what were the biggest lessons you learned from going back to that time? Uh, you said things that served you then, right? Like, and you said you, you might have not, you're not, it was, it was important to you then when you were 22, 23, 24. Is it, what, what did you mean by that then versus now? Well, you know, I was, you know, I was a young 20 something, you know, so I had a lot of my own development to do. And so I feel kind of like a different person now, you know? Yeah. So what did you learn about yourself going through this? I learned that, um, culture and teams are, there's a real art to developing those and that, organizing folks under like a common purpose or goal is I think art's the right word there's an art to it there's a there's some strategy to it but you have to really tend to that um I learned that the star player is not the star the player that helps everyone else get a get to get a bit better is really the MVP on every team. Um, I learned that you can not, you don't have to listen to the loudest person all the time. I learned that you have to draw out questions and ideas from folks 
really specifically to better understand them, to see what makes them tick. Um, I learned that I wasn't going to be successful as a college coach because I didn't care about winning enough. What did you care about? I liked striving for things. I liked reaching for things. I really enjoyed watching people grow. I really enjoyed being part of that story and kind of helping facilitate the environment for that. I loved being on a college campus. I loved learning. I loved that you go catch like a cool speaker as part of your job. Like I loved the environment of it. But at the end of the day, like the winning wasn't the most important thing to me. And it wasn't like a win at all cost mentality. And I do think probably even now to be successful, you, you, you're still really gauged on that win loss. So well, that's what was the, my follow up question is like, how does that translate today? Because there is so much pressure on being number one, being the best, winning, winning, winning. It is competitive. I mean, arguably the restaurant industry is more competitive, competitive than any other thing out there, maybe I'm not, I mean, I'm sure like the competitive nature of you know, college athletes is definitely there or collegiate sports is there, but like we definitely have to win. So how do you find that balance of not, not letting the idea of, how do I say this? You, you know, it's not a, what's going like, do you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I, yeah. I like like are, are, is your sense that like the restaurant environment's pretty competitive and, yeah. and you want to be pursuing that number one slot, but you're, yeah, exactly. But you're not so much concerned about that. Well, I let go of the oars. Okay. Yeah, um, that's right. I mean, yeah, I think that we're all wanting to strive and achieve, but like if I had to say what's more important that we're in like a number one slot determined by another entity and they're really recognizing us or I have a team that's really happy, motivated and smiling when they open Bingo. the door every day, I'm going to pick the team and, yes. and drop the number one. So, And I think what what's really cool is that when you take that approach, the number one kind of just happens, right? When you, when you, when it's not about being number one on paper in the eyes of the general public, but how can I make each individual on this team win in their vertical that compounds in the, like you, you, it, when you recognize that it's not about me and my success and my business, but about everyone else and their success, like a coach would see it, then the byproduct is you end up becoming number one. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, that's, that what, the, that's the that's the master plan. But but it, yeah. no, I think that whether or not you're recognized as a number one by the outside world, if your team feels like they work at a number one type of enterprise and they feel like they're number viewed as a potential number one for themselves, and um, you know their growth and satisfaction creates like a winning energy within the organization. I think that's success. Yeah, and that's got to be up there. And the the top ten lessons I've learned that success in the restaurant industry isn't about you; it's about everybody else. And I think that those lessons that you learned early in your career, your professional career are serving you really well to this day. So, uh, I mean, it looks like you, you went to school, you got your master's in education, then you went back to coaching. Uh, were you, at what point did you say coaching is not for me? Well, I was, I was in my master's program and I ended up starting to do a lot of research around food and food in the educational environment. And that was really based on looking at, this is the early 2000s and it was like the first time where universities and colleges were really seeing like a rise in need around mental health services and like there was just something growing 
that we were trying to put our finger on it. And I kind of just started thinking about like fuel and food is fuel and really like what these college students are consuming. And then when you do that audit, you start to recognize that it's not maybe the most healthy food environment, you know, college time. And I definitely got super fat in college (laughs) between the beer and the all you can eat buffet uh, French fries and fast food. No, no offense, Airmark, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not the most healthy environment. They're looking for value and they're looking to keep their costs down and make a profit, like any other business. Yeah, so I, I think that's when I started to really tick. Like, this something just started to click for me, where I was like, there really is something about food as like part of everyone's journey. And like how powerful food is from like a a wellness and a well-being part and how we're, I mean, this is the early 2000s. I think it's like. So you're ahead of the curve. Maybe. I don't know. But I was like, you know, we're not really looking at this thing that we do every day in a way that it's really creating like and bringing like a vibrancy to our life and like a real like health and well-being focus to our bodies. And the more I started uncovering that the more excited I got about that the less the coaching really was interesting to me and the more like returning to that restaurant and food environment was okay so at what point did you say to yourself this is the new path I want to be on I think I sat myself down and I had a self-talk and I recognized that if I was going to continue coaching that in order to build my career I was going to be moving from college city to college city probably for the next 15 years and I really recognize that like no I want to be somewhere and I want to have a community and I want to kind of have some roots and and be part of something and that kind of took coaching off the prospect list Um, and I also I loved being on the college campus but you know colleges and universities can be a little bureaucratic and you know it can be a little bit of a climb to kind of build your career within a university system and becoming an entrepreneur and kind of creating my own organization and like this own, this own world became more and more interesting. Yeah. Uh, Was there anything that was particularly threatening for you and building a career in that environment that you felt like it just, you'd be better off doing it on your own? Uh, well, again, I was in my young 20s, and I don't even know if I, you know, I just couldn't hold in, like, when I had an, an idea or an impulse, I just couldn't hold it in. Like, I wanted to do it. Mm. And when you're in a larger system, it slows everything yeah. down. Yeah. And I found that kind of dissatisfying. I can, I can, I can appreciate that. <laughs> Personally. Sure. So... I think now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And when we come back, I have a feeling we're going to start talking about how you had a vision. Is that safe to say? Perfect. All right. Cool. We'll be right back. It's no secret that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to keep up with the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, 
where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back and I'm curious when you really started getting intentional about your culinary career. When did, where in your journey did you say, okay, this is my new path? And how did you start living to get there? It was definitely in grad school. Okay. And I started uh, most of, centering most of my research on food and wellness. Okay. And, uh, you know, from there, I really, I got really curious about food and healing. Um, you know, I, I was in grad school. I was coaching. I had another job. So, you know, I think that very common to a lot of folks in graduate school. And I had really run my body down and... Um, return to food to kind of restore energy levels and, and, you know, feel like strong and healthy. And, and I, the more I started learning about how important food is, um, which is kind of funny that it really wasn't a big part of our athletic training, you know, back, right. b- back at that time, I think it is now. Um, the more my eyes opened to how important food is to our total well being, and the fact that we do it every day you know we eat every day I was like you know we could really change folks lives or like your life really becomes enhanced when you're living well and you're eating well and at that point I was like I think I want to investigate this further yeah and I, I would argue or take it even further and say once everybody starts living and eating to eat well to enhance their lives the communities start getting better because to do what you're saying the best way to do that is to the obstacle is the way there is no shortcut. It's growing food the way it was meant to be grown as close to nature as possible and, and, and as close to the source as possible. And when you start doing that, communities start getting healthier too. not just physically, but like keeping money local, investing, putting money back into your community. And that, this is exactly what I mean by when I say, if you change the restaurant industry, you change the world. And I'm so happy you're going here. Like, see, I, 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 100%. I, th- I, I think food as medicine, food as healing is the future of the restaurant industry. I think we're going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, food is medicine, food is healing, food is friendship, uh, food is fun times, food as together. Like, uh, not, not just healing your physical body, not just the, what you're putting in to feel good, but what that community, friendship, yeah. all this stuff. We don't do, would you say we could be better about that today? Well, I mean, we know that there's something there because, like, th- it's pretty common for folks to, like, when they think about, like, how they celebrate or how they spend time with friends. Like, food is really in the orbit of, like, most of our experiences. But I don't know is if we have the opportunity or if we're going to build in more time for ourselves. I mean, maybe part of the last couple of years has created that to really 
enjoy the experience. Um, maybe not every meal of every day, but really understanding like what's happening between like eating and sharing food and being with friends and enjoying like the entirety of the experience and what that does for folks and their like sense of self and feeling good and having fun. I mean, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. So right above security, um, your, your physiological needs is belonging, right? Or, or no, so it's physical, physiological needs, then security, then belonging and being a part of something and community. I feel like we've kind of lost sight of that. We have community online, but there's something that happens when you're shoulder to shoulder with people that you just can't recreate. This is why I drive across the country. This is why I sit across the table from people. There's something that happens. I cannot explain it, but it's like being next to somebody is for your soul as eating food that was grown with the most love possible. Like you just get more out of it. I don't know how to explain it. What are your thoughts? Specific to like food quality and local food? Well, like it's weird. I think there's this move, like you could argue there's this move happening right now where we're there. More people are working remotely. More people are spending more time with their friends and family. But at the same time, I think there's a, a balance that could be struck, right? Where we spend more time with people and across the table from people, the people we're working with, because, yeah, you can meet over Zoom, but are you showing up the same way for a video call as you are for somebody who's coming to sit across the table from you? Like what extra stuff is going on there internally for your mental health, for your physical well-being? There's there's stuff tied. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's even some nice data points. I don't know. Maybe it was the Cornell University put together or something like that that was like when you eat food during a business deal like you're more likely to close a deal like there's just a different level of connection yeah. when when you're sharing food with folks oh for sure I mean there's uh, the book drunk I don't know if you've heard of that book but even showing the tie of like civilization and relationships and connectivity with alcohol and how alcohol helped form societies and how there's belief that like it was alcohol that caused the agricultural revolution, not bread, because people wanted to get drunk together. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. Like we wanted to, like there's something that, that just draws us to do that. It's in our nature. So it's, it's we could get lost in, in a deep rabbit hole here. But back to your story. So you go out to, to Berkeley. You're, you're, you're thinking food from a wellness perspective. I want to. So what was your, like, did you have a goal? Did you have a mission? At this point, did you want to open a restaurant or did you just want to work with food? Yeah, I didn't want to open a restaurant at the time. I was just... Um you know, completely ready to just have a totally different experience. I'd grown up in like the Northeast my whole life. Here I go to California, uh, Berkeley, kind of the epicenter of the local food movement, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I went to this uh, natural foods, like I call it crunchy granola cooking school out there and uh, made all sorts of weird stuff. Um and I apprenticed for two years at a Weston A. Price, uh, which is like ancestral cooking, community-supported kitchen, like, you know, real, real, I really think I got a good taste of like the Berkeley food scene yeah. uh, between those experiences. And I really was able to just spend a couple of years like working and then kind of immersing myself in the Bay Area food space. And like, that's mid 2000s and it was really incredible time to be there did you evolve or i mean if 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 i feel like going into this experience you had already evolved a lot as a young person right you you learned more about 
your passion for food and this, the role food plays in our wellness and for healing and all this stuff. But what did this two to three years, like how, what was the next evolution for you? Yeah, I, maybe the most important thing is I was in a, a natural foods focused cooking school and we were predominantly vegan. Uh, we were predominantly vegan vegetarian, but like there was a lot of centering the food around like, cooking for dietary needs so we were trained on like if someone's diabetic like here's a menu exam you know here's how you can cook for that so it was really interesting like from a holistic health lens and at some point like I looked around my class and I just recognized like we were becoming so hyper vigilant about food that it was unclear to me if like anyone was really enjoying it and i I, I don't know if you can eat healthy without joy. Like, I don't know if you can eat healthy and be kind of scared about what you're eating and actually get what you need out of the food. And I started to kind of create my own recipe, which was like, enjoy yourself first. So what, what was it that you think was sucking the joy out of this type of cooking? Why weren't people enjoying it? Being really stressed about ingredients and what you're eating. About and being, the numbers. And, and like health regimens yeah. and eat this, not that. I mean, you can, we, we can go down the cookbook aisle of the health food, you know, and you can, there's an argument for every different diet. There's an argument for, I mean, you can just get really, really confused. And every person that's eating that food. Maybe everyone in America might be right now because we're like, what is good for us? Well, that's what we're trying to, we're getting so good at drilling down that we're starting to realize that what might be best for you isn't best for this person over here who might have a completely different genetic makeup. You know, as far as like the the food that they their ancestors were eating and the, how they evolved to eat that, so we're realizing how diverse we really are, down to how we process food. Yeah, and I just don't think you can be scared of your food yeah. and really be healthy. I think yeah. like you have to have a certain amount of ease with whatever you're eating in order for your body to be successful and 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 like processing it you're bringing up something really interesting that's never come up on the show before and i think there might be a tie because i wonder sometimes there seems to be this this uh soul that's being sucked out of the industry over the past 10 years where i mean let's look at the numbers like people aren't rushing to work in the restaurant industry anymore it's not about that love that 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 sharing that caring like it once was now it's about what is your dietary restriction like what let's make sure we you know disinfect this entire space and like it's it's all about the numbers and like we, we're tracking everything down to what we're putting in our bodies do you think that's sucking hospitality out of food i don't know but i think it, it's it can be really confusing for the individual i think that uh the folks that i've which individual the person making it or the consumer the consumer okay the person making it i've always like the our approach at bluebird has been like we're pretty talented i think we can probably t- figure out a way to take care of this guest like yeah you know i think for the consumer just all of us as individuals is like i think foods become really confusing um for many i think that it is really important and can be a big part of healing for for folks with certain conditions and it's like huge there's like an opportunity for healing and with with food in a way that i don't even know if we've really like gone very deep there yeah and i do think that like 
over-focused, hyper-vigilant, or on the other side of it, I ate this, now I'm going to beat myself up about that. Like those energies, I think. Yeah, you enjoy it in the moment, but tomorrow morning, you're like, what did I do? Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I think like <laughs> all of those energies are really not helpful in kind of creating that like, what I think like is like thriving mm. kind of, of life where you really know what you're eating, know why you're eating it, having fun doing it, like... I really think it's like completely okay to have a bag of Cheetos and enjoy yourself if it brings out a good sense of feeling and you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but eating Doritos for every meal might cause some issues. Depends how you feel. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you see people that can eat anything. Right? So, so, you know, back when I was sitting in, in cooking school and I started thinking about working with food, I was like, I want to create an everyday kind of place that was real focused on like whole ingredients, local ingredients, but was not necessary health food. Because for me, like whole ingredients made well with intention, grown with intention, that to me was kind of health food. Okay. So like more holistic versus extreme, just focusing on the ingredients, but the big picture. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think that I we had gotten so, like, particular about what health food was, particularly in my program, that I wanted to widen that. Um, so you could be, you know, have a nice restaurant meal out made with whole ingredients, like not a lot of processed items in there, like made with intention, great recipe, and it could, like, the experience of having something that was delicious, that was made with care, that he enjoyed with friends, would be just as healing as, you know, maybe more of a diet-focused yeah. energy. Because, I mean, I've, yeah, I think it's just thinking mo more holistically. It's not just what we're putting into our bodies, but it's, it's how we're experiencing it with our whole body, not like our emotions, our feelings, and everything. Yeah, that's where I got. And, and like certain diets are really helpful for folks. So I don't want to be anti-diet, yeah. but you just have to feel good with what you're doing. Got it. So that was the, the idea behind what you wanted to create. Yes. And why, why Burlington and Vermont? Well, I'd gone to college here, mm -hmm. and I love Vermont. I mean, I think if I could have a full-time job as like Vermont's spokesperson slash walking commercial, I would do it. I love it here. I think it's a really special place. And um, I mean, on the, I would say you know Berkeley is to California as like Vermont is to New England. I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot bigger, totally. But like maybe Burlington is to New England. It's it's very community focused. Very food focused area in the north probably the most in the northeast at the totally rest. especially yeah. at that time and this is like 2009 yeah very ahead of the curve so when did you when did you say i'm opening a restaurant i'd worked in a few restaurants also while i was out in berkeley okay. and i really had gained more experience and i, I remembered like how much i loved it mm. and at this point because you're older now you're in your early late to 20s, -20s. Yeah, late 20s later 20s later 20s Reflecting back at how you loved it when you were younger, a teenager versus late 20s, what did you love about it now? Same feeling. You know, like working with a team, you know, um, challenging under time pressure, figuring things out in the moment, uh, connecting with guests, creating like good moments, special moments for guests, taking care of people. Yeah. Like 
you know, I think the whole package was really compelling for me. Mm-hmm. And not to say that the industry doesn't have like a darker side, because <laughs> uh, there is some of that too. But I think generally, I just love the environment and like the whole climate around it. Yeah. Were you in back of house or were you in front of house? I did a little bit of both. Okay. What did you like more? It's funny because I think I always moved um, more to the serving side and the bartending side. But, uh, you know, recently, just this near term last year or so, I've really enjoyed being more on the culinary side. So I think it's it's changed over time. And and uh, but I appreciate all the different skills used in both. Yeah. You know, the fun question, like which job's harder, you know, between the culinary side and, and the serving side. And, I, you know, it's, you can really talk for a long time about the different demands. Oh, yeah. I think it depends on the person, really. Because, like, for me, for like, I'm a natural in front of the house just because I love being around people. Like, I, I people re-energize me, you know. But that that that's not everybody. you know. But I also, I'm horrible in the back of house because I'm not good at juggling a lot of things at once. I'm not good at like remembering something for a long period of time. You know what I mean? Like I can't hold a mem- like a, don't forget the order. You know, like I'm not that person. Like I see a, you know, like a, anything will distract me and I'll forget what I'm doing. <laughs> but that's the cool thing about the front of house is it's so like one thing at a time, you know, like it's like put this out and then next, next, like you stack things. I don't know. Maybe you do it in the kitchen too, I guess. Yeah, I think we're stacking all the time. Yeah. And that's like logistically in the moment, like making strategies from like moment to moment in our industry. Like keep it, it, I find that puzzle to be so mm-hmm. much fun to solve. Yeah, for sure. So when you're in, so you're in Berkeley, you say, I want to go back to Vermont because I, I liked it there. I'm going to open this restaurant. What, like, when was the moment when you said, I'm going to, when you said it out loud, when you told somebody I'm opening a restaurant in Burlington, Vermont, like when did that happen? I don't remember that exact moment. That's funny. I haven't thought about that. Uh, it, it must have... I did want to return back to Vermont. I loved California. I oddly miss seasons. Like, Berkeley is kind of generally, like, the same climate-wise year-round. It's yeah. always nice. Yeah. And, you know, just growing up in the Northeast, like, that, we have so much change that I missed... I missed being back in, in the Northeast and I definitely, you know, just, I mean, we get like rain days where you can watch TV all day (laughs) if things work out, you know, we didn't have that in California. So, um, and I, I think I knew I wanted to start something. It had been a few years later, I might've started with like a food truck, but that hadn't quite started yet, you know, for better or for worse. So the only, the only, what I only understood I could do was a restaurant. So how did you start? At some point, I must have said, I'm going to do this, Um, and I wanted to create this New England tavern that was modern, fun, and approachable, um, with food with whole ingredients and, and like, from scratch cooking. Definitely wanted to return to Burlington. Um, Started kind of designing it. I think I had been designing it the whole time. Okay. You know, and... um, Got back and, you know, my family has a, a business in development and I told them this is what I want to do. When you say development, like, like literal, like physical construction? Yeah, construction that, and real estate. And I was like, you know, then that so helps. That's a good, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a privileged position. We <laughs> yeah. can talk about that later too. But um, uh, things came together pretty quickly and they, they supported my vision, which is I'm really blessed for that. And we found this really weird hundred year old farmhouse on the outskirts of Burlington. And, um, 
it had been a Mexican restaurant for 40 years. Uh, previous to that, it was the same, the person that owned the Mexican restaurant's family's homestead. So we're like the second, I'm the second person to be in this space. Is that this space that we're in today? Okay. We are actually in the farmhouse right now. Wow. That's cool. Uh, we're going to do a, I I would like to do a tour at the end of this interview. So make sure you check out the B roll to see what we're talking about right now. But just to make, let's just zoom up to 30,000 feet real quick. Cause you, you open your, your first restaurant, uh, Bluebird Hospitality, um, or was the Tavern? Bluebird Tavern. Bluebird Tavern. Uh, that was 2009. Do you, you want to talk about the name Bluebird? People, Real quick, people. we'll we'll come back down. Yes, okay. I do want to talk about that. But 2009, Bluebird Tavern. Um, the Tavern closed in 2012 or 16? No. Uh, so it was uh, Bluebird Tavern. Yeah. And then we had uh, the option to take over this... Um, space downtown that was this cool little kiosk right on church street in burlington was that the coffee shop and that was the bluebird coffee stop okay and then we had an option to move the tavern downtown to a a new location so we did move downtown to the bluebird tavern and then we opened bluebird barbecue which is where we are right now so you opened bluebird barbecue in 2012 12 and that's when you moved the tavern yes. to downtown. Got it. I was a little confused as yep. to what was going on there. You also opened a second. I gave you the briefing about hitting the mic, and now I'm doing it like left and right. I know, and I've been so well I haven't done it one time. I don't know what's going on here. So you opened a second coffee shop too, right? Yes. Okay. One, that was 2012. Right in that zone. And then now, today, um, what consists? Right now, we have Bluebird Barbecue in the original location. In the original location. location. Got it. Uh, okay, cool. Just wanted to get that big picture out. So you open this location, the tavern, in this current location. Take it from there. I just want to get that big picture. What does it mean? Go get into the Bluebird too. Yeah, well, everyone always asks me that, so I just yeah, please. I should lead with that. <laughs> yeah. but, um, you That's know, great though. I love it. I uh, was you know brainstorming names, and when I was a kid. M- and I was maybe a little bit grumpy or a little, you know, maybe not excited about things. My mom would always tell me to let the bluebird of happiness fly up my nose. And I think that might've been a thing. She's like kind of a generation back. And I think that was like a saying back then, but um, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of remember because I knew it was going to be a challenge. You know, it wasn't beyond me that the restaurant industry is demanding. Mm-hmm. So I thought centering around this like bluebird of happiness flying up your nose like would, would help echo. help stay, yeah. you know, focused on on having fun and that happy part. And it's and, it's unique to you too. You're Yeah, and, and yeah. and you know, and then it turns out bluebird's like a magical bird in like a lot of cultures. So it's been a nice icon to center our hospitality world around. That's cool. And I I I like it too because I think just the the color blue is a very warm, loyal, trusting color. It's a it's a powerful color for the the emotions you want to evoke in hospitality. Right? Uh, is that did that play into your mind at all? Yeah, I, I think we might have. Yep, I, we we've always had blue right in our little brand book, so yeah. it's always felt. I mean, blue I think might have been my favorite color growing up too. So it's a great. It's color. all right there. Yeah, I love it. So okay. So you kind of manifest, you, you say to everybody, I want to open this restaurant. You have the support from your family. It happened really fast, 2008 into 2009. Reflecting back at this time, what you know now about opening restaurants and just the restaurant business in general after being in it for 20 years, what really, like, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Go back and give yourself some advice. If the earlier version of yourself is listening to this, 
what do you want to say to them? I think, well, it would be helpful if I had like a, a me, myself now, encouraging and kind of giving my then self like a lot of encouragement and high fives. So what would that encouragement look like? You're doing great. Way to go. Did you feel like you weren't doing great? No, I felt like we were doing terrible. Why? (laughs) This coincided with like, I think like the real emergence of Yelp and uh, some of the other social commentary sites. Yeah. And we had with the Bluebird Tavern, it was like a very modern menu. I mean, it was a little bit of... um, Berkeley-esque. I wouldn't say it's Berkeley-esque. The opening team um, is now uh, in Winooski. They uh, own a restaurant group called Misery Loves Company. Um, So we all started out together with really, like, I think, earnest energy in our late 20s, early 30s, like, really wanting to, like, shake up the dining scene in Burlington. And there was a little bit of a I don't want to know if it, it was quite an edge to it, but it was definitely new, different, and kind of noteworthy. I think that's good a good thing to want to do. You don't want to be like everybody else. You want there to be some juxtaposition there. You want to stand out, right? So what... You know, how does that play into the story? Where you're sure? Well, the result of that, you know, I think at the time with this community and the palette of this community, it was like there was ingredients on the menu that were listed that people didn't know what, what it was. And, you know, we had, you know, a cocktail that was very Campari forward and this tastes terrible. Like there was just some, a a level of like the foodie of now wasn't really here. Yeah. And there was some, there was a, there was a lot of people that gave us a lot of like high fives and praise, but for one reason or another, my mind became really fixated on like folks that were not happy using words like pretentious and what are they doing and it's expensive and what percentage of reviews would say that if you could just throw a number out i mean we can probably look back into the data but it was it it was for whatever reason a love it or hate it concept Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. and i for whatever reason in my own level of like where I was as a person at that time couldn't understand the hate it people mm-hmm. because I was like well if you don't like it like don't come like I really had that much naivety around like what I think your job in in restaurants is is like a very public job and you have to get really good at managing that and that one took me by surprise and probably created the most stress the caring about what people are saying about you publicly. I don't even know if caring is the right word. I would say it was like taking it personally. Yeah. Making it feel like we were doing something wrong. Okay. Like I didn't have a filter that said like, well, there's always haters and just, just, you know, do your thing and don't worry about that. I really generally want folks to get along and I like that is my way of being. Yeah. So I couldn't like understand what was happening. And it became a lot of pressure. So, so the advice you'd give yourself, you mentioned, like, just, you know, you're doing a good job. I can't remember exactly what you said. Yeah. Like, I, you would have lifted yourself up a little bit. All I wanted to do at the time was a good job, but, like, I didn't know exactly what that good job was. So now that you have a better idea of what a good job is, like, and you, you're literally having a conversation with yourself, right? Go back, tell yourself 
what you needed to hear then? I think it's really helpful to focus on what's going well mm-hmm. and maybe focus a little less on what's going wrong. What will happen if you do that? I think it just, I mean, I think it just builds the energy that you want and it gives you a sense of confidence and you feel a little bit different. I mean, we're, I, most of us, I believe, are like kind of set up in our brains to like look for things that aren't working or threats or things that don't make us safe and, and focus on those because the, the idea is if we fix them, we're safer or we're more successful. Mm-hmm. And I do think it takes a different level of training to like change your gaze. So you're like, what's working? What's, what's working now? How does that feel? And focusing just as much of that. And I think that's a discipline. Yeah. It's easy to get distracted. And I think, um, I'm, I'm in the reading I'm doing right now. Um, I'm diving deep into traction. I just read, uh, you can't do it alone. And, uh, this echoing theme of focus on your, your core purpose, your core ability, your core, whatever it is that you offer that you do focus on that because you cannot be everything to everybody, but knowing where you're strong, what your lane is, what your strengths are, focus on what you're doing good. And once you get that to the point where it's just dialed in and you don't need to be the one there putting that pressure on it all the time, that's when you can start focusing on the satellite stuff. Right. But if you get distracted too early on the core from what people are saying about you, then you take your, 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 your focus off the thing that's working and it starts to go downhill, right? And then the people who did like you for those reasons are like, what the hell, what about us? Yeah, I mean, for whatever <laughs> reason, like, I don't know if it was like sports training or, you know, where you're always trying to like pick apart where you need to make improvements. I'm not sure where I picked it up, but a positive review was not, as meaningful as a negative review. Like the negative review got a lot more attention to me. It hurts. It stings. And, you know, I started orbiting around that and I'm not sure if it's really helpful. Yeah. And I think we all need in this industry to really gain some more energy and satisfaction around those folks that are having a good time and, and, and sharing that. Yeah. Like you'll get a positive review like, oh, that's nice. And then you'll get a negative review like, let's have a team meeting. Like, yeah. I don't know why we don't, you know, so we, we do try to do more celebrations around those. Yeah. It's like the, the one minute manager approach to like you, you, you reinforce the good behavior. I think that mentality of reinforcing the good applies to the collective as well, not just on the individual basis, but like, what are we doing? Right. Like, Hey, we got this great review Sh- review, share that. Like, like, Making you coach by making an example of the the good behavior, not the bad behavior, right? Yeah, I, you know, in coaching, I'm forgetting the coach's name, but he was very involved early on in women's soccer, and he was his mantra was always catch them doing right. Mm-hmm. And for one reason or another, I knew that you know, but for one reason or another, in the early part of my restaurant career, like with Bluebird. I became really hypervigilant about like, I don't know if it was like perfection, but it was definitely like, let's make sure we're improving, you know? And, and I had maybe some delusions that like that, a lot of that in the moment coaching during service actually worked or people actually heard me. And it ended up just kind of, it really wasn't as like joyful and pleasant as. What happens when you do that? 
I think you just kind of get stuck in looking at what's not working. Yeah. And like that just grows and you can just keep going. But in that specific example of coaching in the moment, what would happen to the person, the person you're coaching, what happens to them? I mean, we could really talk a lot about this area because I think it's really important, but I do know that we all might have a fantasy about the amount of corrections that we could give while we're in service. And like, really there's very, like once we've opened that front door, there's very little like long-term corrections we can make. Like that's all about like developmental strategy at like future meetings or future trainings. I think in the moment there's very little you can do other than like if there's a safety issue being really clear in direction or if there's a problem being really clear about how we're going to solve it. But like that's the extent of control I think you have during a service period. I think you have to be really clear about what you can accomplish. Notice it, write it down. Like Tend to it later. Yeah, but if you choose to tend to it in the moment, what are you doing to the server, to the cook, to whoever you're getting that, that attention to? Well, Internally, what's happening to I them? think it depends. I mean, that kind of goes back to our how are, how are you showing up? Yeah. Because if you, if you are showing up consistently – in your role at your restaurant in a positive, friendly, you know, high five coaching energy, you have a lot more space to maybe make some more direct corrections and have people not go into like fear, shame, guilt. But if you are here all the time and you're kind of in that stressed, burnt out, tired, and you are maybe a little bit shorter tempered or however you want to put that and your your energy is like a little more terse in those corrections and 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 you move people into that fear shame guilt you're starting to kind of lose the team's losing trust in you and they're losing their own sense of like confidence yeah i would say in the moment they're also losing focus they're not going to be focused on the task at hand they're going to be focused on screw her she doesn't know what she's talking about like like or it could go internal like yeah. i did something wrong i'm so stupid i'm not good enough like you know it can exactly. go outward or it can go inward but neither is really if they were off in the in, to start with they're really going to be off after yeah. that it's only going to compound you're not yep. doing anybody any favors in that moment and if especially if somebody can hear you critiquing them or correcting them or scolding them. Not only are they going to be thinking, well, screw you, but they're also going to be thinking like, I'm embarrassed right now. Like not in front of my peers, you know what I mean? Like, and then they're just going to be in their head. They're going to be in their head about how upset they are at that moment. You know, like it's just not good practice. Yeah. And you have to wonder like why we think it's helpful. I mean, or why we, we would manage from that place. Cause I know I'm not like, if I was saying I did that quite a bit often in my early career, I, I definitely experience that most frequently as, you know, as an employee at other, at other spaces, like, um, there was always a lot of correction direction that just like never felt really great. Like if you did something wrong, you kind of did get shamed or blamed or, you know, that I think that, that I experienced a lot of that and I don't know why I brought that with me like I think I should have known better but I do know that at the time early in my career knowing the restaurant industry was so challenging I was really trying to be like so hyper vigilant about the service experience so the restaurant would succeed and we'd have a business that was around and I felt like that meant 
making sure every grass was polished like mm-hmm. you know like really you know things that are good like the attention to detail is important but it's like not the most important thing and when all of that takes over you kind of are chasing something that i think is, is difficult all around yeah so what are you what happened internally with you that you're not so much uh i don't know the right word but you relax a little bit around these things Well, we closed the first restaurant, Bluebird Tavern, after six years. What was the reason for that? You know, it was it wasn't incredibly successful financially. It was very successful in a lot of other ways, but it was very it was a demanding concept as far as like my time and and being there. Um, it was more of that like casual fine dining, um, and. I felt it to be pretty draining and I spent most of my time working with Bluebird Tavern. And meanwhile, we had Bluebird Barbecue over here kind of taking off and doing its thing and being this like happy place. And it wasn't really getting, it was like the kid that does nothing wrong that you ignore. Yeah. And I just found that I was ready for, you know, having multiple units at the time in my mid thirties and racing around and, kind of having like a maybe not great quality of life and kind of holding everything together wasn't really going to work for much longer. Okay. Um, I really want to kind of drill down because I think there's lessons here and I have some uh, inklings, but I don't want to just assume this sure. is what's going on. So you, you listed some of the things uh, two time consuming, not necessarily the most profitable model, uh, not a good quality of life for you or some of the reasons why you're unsuccessful. What were the successes? With Bluebird Tavern, yeah, I, I we did we did great work bringing like a new concept style of dining to the Vermont market. Um, we were really lucky to be uh, acknowledged in a lot of food publications and uh, be highlighted. I mean, that feels really good, especially when you're young and 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 hoping to grow. Um, we had a lot of guests that were real fans um even today you know people still ask me about it and hope that we're gonna reopen again um i think it was successful to get it off the ground i think it was successful to be started by you know three 30 year olds um like when i think about what we did at 30 years old i'm like how did we do that it's not you know it's a pretty complicated thing to open a restaurant and I you know so I have some pride about yeah. you know what we did and what we accomplished and um it was transformative it was really eerily like my coaching career where I loved it and also felt myself like kind of went through the school of hard knocks like that's yeah. how I think of that period so you're open you opened in 2009 and you closed you said six years later so 2013 yeah. I think it would have been, yeah, 2015. 15, Jesus, I'm all over the place with my math. Uh, 2015, um, and Bluebird Barbecue was open in 2012. 12. So there was a three-year overlap, and you had the two coffee shops. Yep. So you had four locations. Um, you had three partners. Um, the yeah, I was the only partner. That, okay. That, yep. So I, I, I'm, the part, I'm a partner of one. 
Okay. But back then, did you have business partners? No. Okay. No, that was our opening team. And they Got were it. incredibly involved in like the development of the concept. And I always like to recognize their contribution to like that original launch of Bluebird because they were right there. Yeah. Uh, so when we originally made contact uh, in the, the opening email, we talked about possibly talking about sustainable business. And um, the other thing we want to talk about was vulnerable or, or leader vulnerable leadership. I can't remember exactly how you put it in the email. Um, but when you were talking about sustainable like business sustainability, were you talking about the business of sustainability? Like just the food we're serving is sustainable, good for the environment, good for the ecosystem. Or are you talking about making sure a business is sustainable? Probably. I mean, I love the first one, but definitely the second one, okay. like making sure the business is sustainable. So back to these successes versus unsuccesses back to sustainability from a business perspective, what was unsustainable about your business, the tavern? You know, I, I, I like resist kind of pointing to specific factors because I'm not always sure it's like menu engineering or location. I'm not sure it's. It's probably and, a combination of all those. Well, things. I. I've come to believe it was more about how I was feeling in myself, my inner world, my own confidence than anything else. I think that matters the most. Okay. So the thoughts that were going through my mind and feel free to correct me because I don't want to make assumptions. I don't want to fill your story. Right. But when I see this happening, um, what happened was it sounds like operations like the tavern are very people dependent. If there aren't certain people in that restaurant, the job's not getting done because we depend on those people to execute to our standard. Whereas a, an operation like the barbecue, Bluebird barbecue, where you're doing a few things really, a fewer things probably really well, right? So you can depend more on the systems around that thing versus the people where the type of food you were doing at the tavern was high touch. You needed a skilled person in that kitchen. Like, so what ends up happening with these high touch from scratch operations is it takes so much out of the people to that you burn out and you can't lean on the systems. You can't lean on all these things. Uh, and the, the operational costs are so high because you need skilled people in there. So this is something I was hoping we were going to talk about today is creating more sustainable businesses. So what's going through? You're shaking your head. Yes. What's yeah. I mean, I think mind? that maybe the link that I would make like all of those demands that you just listed created like an um, environment within me that was unsustainable. Like Mm -hmm. I could not just keep going and giving at the level that I was as far as like just, um, giving to the guests and showing up and oh, so, you know, so-and-so is coming in, drop everything, go over there. Like I was just kind of, I had a Toyota Tacoma we had a coffee stop, so I had access to iced coffee all day long, and I was just, you know, drinking iced coffee and going from spot to spot at a level that I don't think was healthy. What's healthy? Yeah. So I'm actually happy we're talking about this because I know. So I know you're on on the the board at the uh, independent, or the, yeah, the independent restaurant coalition, correct? So we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Um, but I think it's worth it because uh, looking at the time, we're already in an hour and 20 minutes, by the way. It's amazing how fast this goes by. I told you it goes by quick. Um, let's, let's get into that a little bit. So how did you find yourself on the board of the Independent Restaurant Coalition? Early uh, in the pandemic, that early March period or that, you know, around, right after the March 17th period, I was 
pretty sure that this was going to be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. I just had a, that sense. I'm not the only one. So it wasn't like a brilliant moment, but I was just like, this is going to be a big deal. So we put together a group within our Vermont restaurants just to start talking about things and uh kind of created started emerging an advocacy group for vermont restaurants and then i got linked into the irc pretty early okay um so fast forward to today um i know one of the most recent focuses for the independent restaurant coalition was trying to get that second wave of support right which we didn't get um take it to that point because it's not worth going over the the two years in between that like but take us to the most recent point like what where's your focus today with the independent restaurant coalition or where was it within the past five months i mean we were all about the rrf replenishment up until yeah you know this near period and i think right now we're we are in the process of creating a new vision for the irc you know we commonly call it irc 2.0 and what that's going to mean and what that's going to do i do know that working with this group has been really important and powerful for me um it's been really meaningful uh i think it gave from for for me it was really important during the pandemic to be connected to colleagues at this level Mm -hmm. and to be what did that do for you you know, there was support, you know, there was a lot of Zoom calls, like there was just a lot of understanding that folks were going through similar things yeah. or different things. There was, you know, that was really helpful. I think also like knowing that we were working to help, yeah. knowing that we were trying to take action to do something, like knowing that there was a cause that we were working for gave more like focus and meaning to dealing with all of the components that were really difficult, but it was like, well, we're taking action and it's important. And that was really valuable Mm -hmm. and inspiring. So I think for now, like IRC 2.0, what I do know is that having independents have a specific association, like focused on the independent restaurant voice will be really helpful. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, and I, I started this podcast for, the independent restaurant operator. I was only interviewing independent operators who seem to be successful. Um, what I found is that a lot of restaurant owners seem to be successful in like the eyes of the media, right? All these accolades, like you were saying, I got accolades, like the people loved us, but behind the curtains, you know, we're barely hanging on, you know? And I think about that and I think we are we're, we as an independent op like industry have been running a broken model for a long time. The 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 way we run businesses is just what we were taught from the generation before, but it hasn't changed since 1905. You know, and I, and I I wonder sometimes like, do we need to start over? Do we need to everything get shut down so we come back stronger the second time? And we throw away these broken business models. So I'm going to say something. I don't want to offend you or anybody who's who's a part of the independent restaurant coalition or, or to like say the work you were doing wasn't worth it. But sometimes I wonder, is this what we need? Do we, do we, what would happen if we did get the money and then we gave it to people who were just going back to doing business as they knew it before, you know, and it's not sustainable is my point. What's going through your mind as I say this? I don't know if he can offend me. Okay. <laughs> but I don't want, but like, I don't well, want to, I, I love I, the work you, that, I, that you guys have been doing. I don't disagree. I mean, yeah. we can talk a lot about Please. like independent restaurants and small businesses. And I, I don't even know if it's so much about independent restaurant model, but our small business main street model is very challenging in this current 
economy. Our like, small business Main Street model. Yeah, I think of Main Street businesses. I mean, you know, like our, our small business retail, like anything that is part of your community that has a storefront, like there's a whole level of competition that was never existed before. Um, Amazon, Target, Walmart, you know, the whole storyline. And, you know, the business uh, ecosystem is changing. Yeah. It's evolving around us, but we're not evolving, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, well, to get back to your reason why the RF is so important is like, there was no business plan for a catastrophic pandemic event. No. And I, I do think it was important that we resource independent restaurants because there was no way to plan for it. There's no insurance you could buy. And I don't think that folks should be bankrupt and losing their homes because... I agree. You know, so that was the goal. to yeah. pre- You know, to preserve the industry. It was not to, like, re-engineer the industry, but to preserve it because it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. to have folks have family businesses that closed, you know, and then know that they have significant financial distress when there was really no way to plan for it. Yeah. You know? But I think what's interesting about your story is you came to this realization before the pandemic that your business model wasn't sustainable for you. And you chose to put all of your energy into a streamlined, a more streamlined business barbecue. And you see a lot of barbecue places emerging across the country now. Cause I think people are realizing that it's, Focusing your energy into doing a few things really well. Yeah, and like, I think to maybe just be a little more precise with that is like that casual fine dining concept wasn't a match maybe for me at the time. And I do think you can be successful. Like, I I have friends in the area that are very successful, yeah. but they were like an energetic match for that. And like, just in the way that I wasn't a match for college athletics because I didn't really care about winning. Yeah. I wasn't a great match for that that kind of as much as I adored the food and the artistry of it I wasn't as much a match for like that dining experience because I do enjoy things to be more fun yeah and like friendly and that's where I started to really find myself with this concept is like a better match for me because it's a little more chill it's like more low-key uh, it's more easygoing with the guests. It's less like perfection. It's less like wine presentation. It's yeah. more just pouring beers. And I think that's a better match for me. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying about the artistry of that. And I feel like there was a, maybe from like 2012 to like 2020, there was a surge of restaurants that were high focus, all about the attention and detail. Everyone was out for a James Beard award, right? Like we're going to win it. Like that seemed to be like the goal or like a Michelin star or an accolade from a magazine. But to, to get, I feel like to get those things, we have to run unsustainable businesses. Is that a far reach of statement? Do you think that's a, a far reach know. of a statement? I don't know enough about that. I, I, I do think that, you have to be well resourced to be successful in that environment at, at that time. Um, but I, I, I think I have peers even in this market that are six, like in running those concepts and are successful. I think it has to, I guess what I'm saying maybe to put a highlighter over it is like you are kind of the founder and the creator of this organization, this restaurant that takes its own identity and you have to be a match to it. And if you're not, I think you're going uphill. And I, I, I came to a point where I was like, I am going uphill. I think what you're saying right now, there's probably thousands of restaurant owners listening to this, shaking their head. I feel that I'm like I'm going uphill, and I think what I'm I think what's most important for me to, to communicate, or what I'm hoping comes out of this, is that 
there's more to this business about the accolades and about the awards and about the recognition from your peers. There's, am I happy? Are my people happy? Is this business profitable? Like, are, or are we just burning money for our ego? You know, are we just, are we, are we in this because we want to be seen? And is it about our ego first? I have to like say, if you are burning the money for your ego and you have money to burn, go for it. You know, I think, <laughs> you know, I think it just depends on yeah. like what you're, what really when I you, when you, when you go, when you, when you, if you sit, have it. when you sit down, like, what do you want? Yeah, that's important. And really drawing out a plan for like, is what I'm doing what I want? Yeah. And if you start to realize that like what you're doing really isn't what you want, I think it's hard to be successful. Mm-hmm. I think that alignment is really what you're looking for. And like, I feel good going here every day. This is how I like to present the food concept that I have. It feels right. It's a match. I mean, that's what's become important for me. Yeah. Um, thank you for letting me get in there and to kind of like, it's weird because I, I love the work that the independent restaurant coalition is doing, but sometimes I really did wonder is like, if, if we get this second wave of money, Yes, it's going to help a lot of people, but I think there's going to be a big percentage of that money that's just going to get burnt, you know? Yeah, I mean, hey, we just got to keep yeah. restaurant folk in their homes, you I know? Get, and, yeah. and, it, and it absolutely resourced restaurants to give their teams a lot of flexibility, and we did want to level the playing field. Mm-hmm. If um, it resourced restaurants that maybe two, three years down the line aren't successful, like, you know how much money we, you know, goes out. We're paying we're preserving like the whole economy. That was one of the big talking points. The RRF is like, all we do is kind of write checks for every part of our local economy. So it was really a way to like stimulate the whole local economy in many ways. I get that. Yeah. Let's, let's shift away from this conversation. I couldn't couldn't sell it. (laughs) No, no, I I think it's good, but I just don't want to, I I agree. There's, it's, it's, it's a, it's a messy world. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to it, you know, and I definitely, and I was curious about more of the pros. Maybe, yeah, if you, if you still want to stay on that subject. No, I'm happy to. I I just, I thought I, I thought it was persuasive. (laughs) No, I just, I really, what I want to do is spend time talking about this idea of like where you are today and how you've gotten here over the past, say, I don't really want to talk about the, the pandemic, and what you did to survive. Hopefully, you know, we don't have to go through that again. And, then, and hopefully if it does happen, we, we've been through it now. We know how to go through it again. Um, but what are the other th- big lessons, the things that we haven't talked about yet that you were hoping we would talk about that's going to leave our listeners better off or more prepared? Yeah, I mean, I think parts of my story that I'd just like to share because it was helpful for me is really refocusing my energy in my role, which I say head coach uh, now. Um, I'd really try not to say owner. Yeah. I don't really like that. You know, I like to pay attention to language and I'm like, there's not much like, please don't introduce me as the owner around here because like really we've created a company with Bluebird. Bluebird's kind of its own owner. You know, I, I serve Bluebird and I, that's how I approach my role now is like the head coach in service to Bluebird and everything that falls around that, which is our guests, our community, our team, our vendors. And so Bluebird's kind of the owner. I happen to work here and be in charge and stewarding it. Mm -hmm. And I like looking at it that way. Um, I don't know if that's helpful for folks, but it's given me a real refocus on what my role is. I get the inverted uh, leadership model or, you know, like we're the leaders at the bottom and you're here to serve everybody above you. That's kind of what I'm hearing. I, I don't, I don't connect with the visual on that. Okay. I thought a lot about that. Like, <laughs> what do you connect with? Um, I connect with being. I think it might go back to my religious 
studies component in college and just having more of like a enthusiasm around spiritualism but i like to be in service okay and that is like doing with you know and so like a flat hierarchy almost yeah or just like being in service or it's Mm kind of like just holding the door open for folks like i think it's really pleasant to be in service to the team Mm -hmm. and that's how i approach my job so not above not below but like a doing with I don't think it's flat because I'm ultimately responsible, so I'm often in charge of making decisions or gathering information to make decisions. But I like the idea of being in service to the organization, and that's how I approach my work, which is really giving. How has vulnerability been to service or at service to you? Because I knew that was something you want to talk about is leading from a, a place of vulnerability, right? Um, maybe I'm, I'm not using the right exact words, but what is, how does that translate in your own words? The thing about vulnerability is maybe I would bring back in is what, what, when we're talking about vulnerability, like how are you defining that? When I say vulnerable, uh, you asking me that question. Yeah. Uh, when I think of vulnerability, I think of uh, transparency about what is actually the dialogue inside my head. Mm. Like not like what I want you to think, but what's actually happening inside of me and rolling over on my back and showing you that I, I might not have the answer or I might be insecure about something or I don't know where I want to go or where we're going, you know, but I know I want to go someplace with you. You know what I mean? Like just not knowing and not having an answer, I feel like can be weakness. Like that's, that's what I think of when I think of vulnerability or maybe. No, I mean there's, that's absolutely the way I think of it too, but there's also like vulnerability from like a systems lens where it's like certain populations have more vulnerability you know and then there's this other concept of vulnerability which i think is unique to our culture in this now period because are you saying your restaurant or the restaurant industry restaurant industry american culture like for one reason or another like vulnerability if vulnerability is taking our inner world and putting it out which is like connection when you say your inner world, you're saying like your inner dialogue? Inner thoughts, feelings, what's happening for me, sharing it with you. Yeah. We've made that so it's vulnerable to do that. It's vul- You become vulnerable to share your inner dialogue. Is that what you just said? I think, yeah. That's yeah. That, yeah. Because it's scary. Yeah. Totally but that's scary. like, why where, is that scary? Well, that's what the question is. Yeah. <laughs> because, I think because it's information. I, the more information that you hold with withdraw, the more you can manipulate, the more you, I feel like it, it does give you an upper hand when, if you're trying to make people think this, but they know that if they get this, like what's inside of you, that contradicts this uh, over here. I, I'm pointing it to the wall if anybody's not watching the video. I think what we do know is that people are most successful in happiness and connection with other people. And for one reason or another, what's happened is we're often afraid to share ourselves because we all probably went through a school system and that you kind of had to put different layers to yourself to fit in. And we've kind of been taught and reinforced like not to share that all parts of yourself so that when you actually do start to do that, it feels vulnerable. Mm. But the only reason it feels vulnerable is we've been kind of conditioned to not do it. But if you kind of break through that, you're talking about sharing your full self in connection with others, like all those pieces that make your life whole and 
feel good. Is it fear of judgment, you think? We're afraid people are going to think we're weird or they're going to think we're incompetent. We're afraid of what people are going to think of the real me. I think there's all sorts of reasons, you know, like I I do think for one reason or another, like we're not always really, really comfortable with expressing feelings in a lot of settings, you know, and like, but I do know that the more we're able to bring more of ourselves out and in a space where you feel safe and heard and seen, the happier you are, the more you feel like yourself, the more likely you are to be a high performer. Yeah. So for me, vulnerability is kind of twisted in our current world to mean like I get to show up as my, I get to, I'm going to take the risk to share my full self. That I think is like what being vulnerable means in this common language of it. Yeah. And I really think like if we were, if that was easier and easier and easier, we would deepen our connections and all feel better about our relationships at work, at home, out in the world. So I, that's why I do like talking about vulnerability because I think, well, there's a couple things. If we can create workspaces where it's safe for people to do that, then we have real, instead of having workplaces, we're generating like real communities. Yeah. Yeah. Did I lose? Did I lose no, it? I love it. It's complex, but I guess what I'm saying is vulnerability. What I like about the idea of vulnerability is not vulnerability, but the the way to be yourself, like creating spaces where people can be their full self. Yeah. So what I'm liking about this conversation that I don't get a lot of that I, I want to make sure like why I'm excited about this is I when I talk about vulnerability, I, I like to focus on the power of vulnerability and how that helps strengthen relationships but I never really got deep into what it means to be vulnerable and how to be vulnerable, which is important. It's it's an important part of the dialogue. If you're trying to be more open and trying to be more transparent and and comfortable in your own skin, how do you do that? Yeah. And I guess like the, the thing that I'm trying to express, which is kind of difficult is I think we're using the vulnerable and the word wrong, like in the way we're using it, because if you get, to a point where you are yourself more of the time, it's not as vulnerable to express yourself. Like you've broken through that. It's actually empowering. Yeah. It's, it's empowerment. And it's you. Yeah. You know, but the vulnerability part about bringing our full selves is really about that fear that we've, cre- you know, that's around like, will people like me? Will I be accepted? So I hold parts of myself in and I only say the things I think the group will like or that'll get me acknowledged here. And I really start to have a strategy about my social interactions and that happens a lot at work. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so to wrap up this thought on vulnerability, I'm really curious. So we've been talking a lot about the person who's being vulnerable, but what happens we talked about what happens when you're vulnerable, what happens internally for you, but what happens when you are vulnerable? What's the reaction for other people who are on the receiving end of that vulnerability? What happens for that relationship when you are vulnerable? I think if, if you express something that it really is opening up yourself to someone else and they receive it in a way that like witnesses you and shows like support and interest and, um, you know, just a sense of like, I'm seen and I'm heard. It really creates this sense of, wow, I'm, I'm safe to be myself here. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, I, I might have a true friend here. And like, oh my, like someone might care about me as a person and like what's going on for me. So it has the potential to 
deepen relationships and create more meaningful relationships. Yeah. The the word I'm familiar with, with why I, I love the idea of, of vulnerability is trust. It does amazing things to build trust and the power of trust. Like what is the power of trust? When you think of trust, like in your business and the trust you've created with your people, is it because you've been vulnerable? Like how did you form that trust? I know I've read a lot about trust. I don't always go to trust. Okay. I go to, you know, and I, I, I think it's probably wrapped up. Trust is wrapped up in this feeling of like, I think for one reason or another, I focus around this sense of I feel really safe here. Mm-hmm. Because I think if folks in your business feel safe, um, which means that they know they can share something and not, you know, and, and have it be heard. And trust that they're not going to be judged. They can make yeah. a mistake. They can, you know, be, be themselves. They, you know, I think that's that level of like, creating a safe work environment is like the most important thing that you do in our roles. And I think you could say that maybe it's the thing that the restaurant industry generally has not been great at. Yeah. So you're speaking specifically about the vulnerability of your inner self, who you are, how you feel, what that looks like in your own true authentic skin. I love that. So, But what I am saying is that's not true vulnerability. That is actually expression that we all deserve. So if you break through the vulnerability of showing your expression, it doesn't feel vulnerable anymore. At some point, you just become you. Yes. And I want that gift for everyone. So what's the secret to obtaining that gift? Being surrounded by folks that celebrate you Mm -hmm. and being in a space that helps cultivate that. So how do we create that space? In the workplace? Yeah. Recognizing that people have this whole inner world that you don't really know enough about. I think it's about recognizing the power dynamics of the workspace and your role in stepping into it and the power that you have if you are in the owner or manager and and being really clear about your influence. Yeah. I think it's about asking really good questions and being really curious about people's experiences. I think it's about checking assumptions and your own biases and your own lens so you're not jumping to conclusions. I think maybe what's most important is knowing that everyone that works here is a person with their own gifts and challenges and we're here as a community to kind of support them to bring their best here not only because it's good for business but it's good for all of us yeah yeah the words that keep echoing in my head as i'm listening to you talk is uh the words from stephen r covey first seek to understand then seek to be understood really start with the end the person who you're talking to get figure like learn who they are what they are what their values are before you start just barking demands and opinions yeah i mean it's a simple example of like um you know pat's always late and we tend to focus on the behavior but not the cause but not the recipe Mm -hmm. of things that are may or may not be happening to pat that create that Mm-hmm. And if we take the time to kind of investigate the recipe, then like dissect the recipe the way we do with our actual recipes, yeah. you know, we're going to learn more and be able to get a better outcome. But 
we've been trained in a model that's been very focused on the behavior and manage the behavior, but we, it really helps to manage all the pieces that happen before the behavior. Got it. I'm loving this. Um, I told you two hours is going to go by fast, right? We're already at almost uh, an hour and uh, 45 minutes of recording time. So let's give you an example. It truly does go by fast. But before we take a break to go into the speed round, is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss today? Anything that you were hoping that would come out that has not come out yet? I think, you know, in 10 years of being at Bluebird and, and looking at the trajectory of my job, I just really want to say that when I feel aligned and with my work and I feel like I can bring my best self every day and I have my own work plan from what I'm doing and what I'm responsible for my my own work schedule and I'm like managing all that in a way that like an athlete manages uh, their training schedule I've had so much more fun at work how do we recreate that for our own lives? What does that look like? Creating this uh, regiment almost in our life of like discipline. Uh, one of the first things I did was actually have a job description for my job. Mm. So it became less of a puzzle, you yeah. know, so I knew what I needed to do and, and could hold myself up to a job description, just like everyone else on the team, everyone else on the team had one. I didn't, yeah. you know, so gave, you know, that gave me some guardrails. I think, that um, setting up my own sense of like, I'm really not going to say success is about being here the longest. I think success is about me being here at my friendliest, most consistently. So how do you shift? What, what key performance indicators do you track to achieve that versus before? Am I feeling good and I'm ready to go and I'm happy to see the team and service feels exciting? Or am I really depleted and I'm tired and do I'm a little cranky? That? Uh, I do, I will go through periods where I track my whole, I use that toggle tracker and I track what I spend my time on each day and how many hours I'm working. I'll do that probably once a quarter for two or three weeks yeah. to see where I'm spending my time. And that's fun. Yeah. I know there's a lot of labor management platforms out there that literally bake it into you check in on a scale from one to five. Where are you? One being bad, five being great. You check, like you know, you're checking out, you're clocking out for the day on a scale from one to five. So now you literally make people tell you how they are. And if you're getting anything below a four, that's your cue as a manager to be like, what's what's up, right? You know, like what can I do? Like, and it creates that space for people to let you know without literally having to like sit like to check everybody every day to be like, are you good? Are you good? Are you good? But like, it just creates that safe space of like, I'm a two today, you know? And like, that's your cue to check in. Right. What are your thoughts? Well, pressing two in a, in a workspace is an example of vulnerability because yeah. you're taking a risk to letting people know that things aren't going well. So that's cool. But it's easier. Um, yeah. It's easier to think it's, it's, easy, it's good to know that it's easier than you would think to track this stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I, I guess, maybe what I'm just wanting to highlight is like, we often focus on the team for that, you know, like checking in on the team, but I don't know. I think it's really important as the leader of the organization that you're doing that for yourself. Cause no one's checking in for you. Mm. And like, if you want to be bringing like your best game to every service or every week or every meeting, you really need to be tuned in to like, how am I feeling? You know, am I a good place to be in conversation? Like I have an emotional scale, like, from like zero to 10, like yeah. zero being like, you know, I don't want to get out of bed to 10 being like exuberant. And if I'm a five or below, 
I really try to hold, you know, be really disciplined about what interactions I have and what I say and like what emails I send and you know because I'm just not feeling in that zone of connection or I'm going to make good impression or I'm going to make good recommendations so I try to tone myself back when I'm having those feelings. So the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. I think we're going to transform the industry by transforming each individual or one restaurant owner at a time, right? So how have you transformed yourself to be able to show up with this level of intentionality and self-awareness? I mean, it, it you know, I think I, what I was doing earlier in my career was successful in some ways, but it wasn't successful for the long term. And it wasn't the way I always wanted to show up and be and it wasn't most of all wasn't successful for me like I was not I was really stressed mm. and switching gears and refocusing my energy and making sure that I was like tending to myself as much and my business at the same time or even prioritizing myself on occasion like all of those changes have built a new momentum where I know that like having a better energy and approach to my day is absolutely better for the team, which is better for the guest, which is better for the business. And if you keep focusing on that and that grows, I think that's a real recipe for success. I love it. I really do. One more question for you before we go to the speed round. Where are you headed? So we've been talking a lot about how you got here, but what are you, what's the future for bluebird barbecue and just bluebird hospitality in general look like are you opening more restaurants like what's how do you want to go into the future the right way after learning and accumulating all these lessons well i've let go of the oars yeah so um i'm i'm really allowing things to unfold and be excited about potentially like new restaurants or new cool projects but i think for this like post or whatever part of the pandemic we're in like immediate term i'm just i'm really looking forward to getting bluebird barbecue back up and 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 feeling like it's um at its full vibrancy again and maybe examining ways where we can really kind of i like to say like squeeze the sponge here to get like every last potential revenue center and really like make the best of it and if that's us being here and focused on this for the next two years, I think that's my immediate plan. Yes. I love that. And, um, it reminds me of something I like to echo often whenever I get the chance to, it's this idea of putting the energy in. We think of scaling. We think about putting energy out, put like putting energy into a new location, into building or expanding and expanding. But that expansion comes only after you put the energy in and then the opportunities come to you. Right. Because you've because you're doing such a great job that people notice and they start throwing things at you. Like, look at this new space. Like, yeah. And I think it's also like, why, why, why keep growing? Like, why growing outside your walls is like the sign of success. Like, grow within your walls. You know, why is doing more? Because, uh, you know, having been like multi unit and now kind of re focused around one, I've, I can really see how nice it is to be here and and to be with one team and to be working with them at at, at one level and I can also see why you'd want to expand but like being really clear about why we're doing it I didn't have that clarity you know 10 years ago we just had opportunities that seemed cool and like why not yeah but um I, I don't I think to grow now in this new next environment you have to have a really nice like 
idea about what your strategy is and making sure that you can resource like a multi-unit organization in a way that doesn't make you have two to three full-time jobs. How do you do that? Like what's the secret in your opinion to getting to that point where it's not all hinging on you, letting go of the orders, but what does that look like? I think developing a really, really, really strong management team or a really, really strong management system. Yeah. And, you know, creating a path where those folks want to be here for a while is the most important thing. How do you create a path where people want to be here for a while? I'm really digging because this is like these like it's hard to create that longevity in employees. So what's your strategy going to be for doing that? Well, can I give you one example? Yeah. We are here today with Ian. How did Ian come to this picture? Where, how did he get to where he is today through? Is this Ian's moment where he gets to grab the mic and come can, out from behind the camera? I can paraphrase from what I understand. You want me just to paraphrase sure. just to get to the point? So Ian started here in front of house two or three years ago, right? Five years ago. Thank you. Um, and he was front of house, uh, like you said, like a utility support role, right? Uh, and what are you doing now? Wait, wait, let me ask you this question. What is your passion? Content creation. Content creation is what he said. And what are you doing right now? Helping with creating content for the restaurant that you started at as a front of house support role, right? So creating paths of growth for your people and letting them stay with you on the path they want to go on. And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I just feel like this is such a great example I had to bring into this. Yeah, I mean, we're so lucky Ian's here. Yeah, so Ian's literally here. He's got cameras. He's helping capture this. He's helping support me. But it's it's doing what we've talked about today. What do you want? Where, do, where are you trying to go? What are your needs? Oh, well, I can help. I can give you that path. I can give you exactly what you're interested in. And it's taking that time. And continue the, the rant I'm going on because it's, it's really we're here to hear your thoughts. And I don't want to put thoughts into your head. I don't want to speak for you. Well, um, you know, I think we're talking about like expansion or maybe growing your business into a more uh, concept model and, you know, building out a management team that wants to stick around because there's so much in institutional knowledge that stays in one person. I mean, you can create really, really, really intricate systems and job descriptions and, and standard operating procedures down to the minute, but like really the whole piece around the actual person who has that knowledge and that like level of competency and understanding is so important. I don't um, envision that anyone should be here forever unless they choose not to be, but you do want to create an environment where people want to hang out for a while and, yeah. and can build their life. And part of that with the management team is to kind of focus on that work and home and, and having reasonable hours and a reasonable approach to our work in restaurants. We haven't always been good at that, but making sure that they can feel successful at work and be, and be, you know, successful at home too. Beautiful. And, and, and then for awesome Ian, I, I'm just really lucky he's going to hang out with me this summer and build content, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's got his own, uh, he's, he's got his own talents and we have, you know, I think that we're just happy when people want to return and hang out with us. That feels great. I love it. Uh, I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experiences has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them. Your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And there's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. We're back. And uh, speaking of vulnerability, if you guys could hear beeping like in the backgrounds, like random beeping throughout the interview, I just invested in a bunch of new equipment that I still haven't quite figured out how to use yet. So that that's been in in the background. helping me out. My cameras are overheating. We have these fancy new 4K cameras to really kind of up our game. And I'm trying to get vulnerable with you right now by telling you what those noises were. Uh, I promise you we'll figure these things out in a couple of more interviews and you won't hear that beeping in the background. But thank you, Ian, for making sure my cameras didn't overheat. Uh, that's what that was, in case you were curious. Are you ready for the speed round? Totally. All right, the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Focus on the good. What is your biggest weakness? 
maybe trying to please everyone. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team or you're doing an interview? Is this person oriented to be helpful to others? Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? Rebuilding after the pandemic. How are you overcoming it? We're trying to have a lot more fun. Mm. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. So this is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Uh, We have a whole uh, team ethos. And my favorite one to talk about is courtesy, which seems not too interesting, but really making please and thank you a habit and saying hi to everyone when you see them. Mm. What is, is that what courtesy means to you? Please, thank you. Hi, just acknowledgement. What, what is courtesy? Well, we, I've thought a lot about this. Are we, can I go a little deeper yeah. in the speed round? Like, I, I asked for you it. Know, <laughs> I think um, for me, courtesy, and I've thought about, about the word because it isn't that exciting of a word, mm-hmm. but it's so important just in, in, in my 20 years of different work environments to have that general kind of like golden rule, uh, treat others how you want to be treated and really making a, a like a, a core value of the organization, like saying please and thank you and acknowledging others and recognizing others and making space for others. Like I feel like courtesy is interesting because it's kind of like expected, but we actually don't practice it as much as we could. So it is like a key core value at Bluebird for our inter-team relations because, for example, saying like, no, when you come in the building, like, say hi to everyone. Yeah. You know, just as like, that's the way we, we are because it, it creates like a, a deeper connection. I love that. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So this is something that you do within the four walls of your restaurant, but that that's that to go above and beyond for your guests, but that's not standard throughout the industry. I think you could probably say courtesy again, maybe courtesy and maybe within courtesy, we, we really resist pointing. Mm. Uh, so not like the bathroom's over here or the door is that way. We really try to be more. Why is that bad? I think it might make people feel like, Oh, just to, you know, it just kind of, it's, it, it's too easy. It's to easy. Like and it's kind of like, Oh, it's over there. And like, you're not really present, but yeah. it makes a really big difference. I think this might also be in like Danny Meyer's book. So I, I don't want to, you know, but no. like, but the, the idea of like, Oh, let me take you there. Yeah. You know, oh, was, let, me, let me show that to you. This oh, is what Lowe's does. Yeah. Right? You know, not like it's on aisle 17, but yeah. like, you know, really, so we resist pointing and like every once in a while I'll point and I'll be like, Oh, you know, it is easy. Yeah, so sure. uh, it, it's a good one to practice. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or rest? operator oh i love reading books i think that the book that i would say is transformational is the Tao Te ching say it one more time Tao Te ching the stephen mitchell translation beautiful um that's the first time that's been recommended on the show so i'm excited to dive into it what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough take time to take care of themselves Name one service you've hired or outsourced, something that you know you can never do as well as, or something you know you can never do as good in-house as you could just outsourcing it. What is that one thing? I mean, Ian's right here. (laughs) Um, Ian, do you want to give us a plug? Do you have a business name yet? What is it? Get on the bike. Ian Bishop Emendry. Ian Bishop imagery. And then I also, you know, uh, dot com. 
it's really a beautiful site. Uh, I, I do love Plate IQ. Mm, so that's the next question. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within the four walls of your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Plate IQ. If I was going to be asked that, because I think of Plate IQ as kind of outsourcing a whole department oh, okay. because so, it is like our, you know, a lot of our bookkeeping department has been outsourced through the app. So I can kind of answer that with the last one, but if I would say like the one app that we use is uh, that's been transformational is Slack. Ooh, why Slack? Uh, we have our whole management team on Slack, and we have a lot of um, uh, recipes baked into it, so all of our communications get routed through Slack, and it's taken. With Slack, you can turn your notifications off and on a lot easier than mm -hmm. text or phone. So it's really helped us put guardrails up around yeah. like working and non-working hours yeah. and sharing of information in like a broadcast way. So we're all like immediately briefed. Yeah. And you can also segment communication. So yeah. you don't have to overwhelm somebody. Awesome channels. It's yeah. really cool. And yeah. I, I think everyone on the management team loves it, which is unusual with, you know, a procedure. So yeah, it's a sure. win. And uh, a little bit more on Plate IQ. Um, give me an example of the impact that's had and how that's really affected your bottom line well I, you know just looking at where we want to resource um you know our labor i definitely want it to be in that guest facing role or that managerial strategy role and anytime we can pull out maybe more rote data entry like non-strategy non-driving the business forward work and get, make that automated i think so it's a big the, win what is the work that plant iq automates uh, that whole in the whole awesome experience of like coding and in you know managing invoices into your accounting system. Yeah. So, what is the technology exactly? Like, do you take a picture of something? And it, from what I understand, the the technology is you scan an invoice and it just basically does data entry for you. Yeah, and it's a little bit of AI because yeah. it remembers things and it gets a little speedier and speedier. And then it also does bill pay, so I can, you know, pay bills from home. I don't have to be in the office printing out checks. It's just like a friendly little buddy in the office accounting world. So somebody who's like, I can't afford all these apps. Like, how much is that going to cost me? Fifty bucks a month? Like, what? What is it? Do you know what it costs? A lot less than having someone do it, or exactly. you do it yourself. <laughs> exactly, and that's how you got to see this. Th these things, like, you can't look at the upfront costs. You have to look at the investment and what, what's the ROI on this. And you are you are creating such streamlined efficiencies with that. It's a great tool. Past sponsor, which so I'm really trying to give them some extra love because this is an organic testimonial uh, recommendation. I didn't tell you about. Planning no, totally. Yeah. And I would just add like anytime we've had questions, it's been a good partner. Like yeah. you don't always have that with every app and I do feel that way with them. Beautiful. Uh, what is, this is actually the last question. So brace for it. Cause okay. it's a big one. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your, your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? This is the you're going to die question. <laughs> you're not going to die. Maybe aliens came and they're like, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. They're like, come hang out in this utopia that we found and built. It's like they're taking you with them. What's the, what's the in my highest hope. If I was going to contribute something that would be of assistance or support or kind of cool. Like I do really, really want folks to have more fun. Mm. I think, uh, keep life more steady. Stay to the center, have more fun. Stay to the center. What's number three? 
fill your life with awesome relationships that support you. I love it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Sue. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. I'm really trying to get to the point where everybody who's a guest on the show is referred to me by somebody who has been successful and recognizes success because I think we really need to start taking control of who we make an example of in our industry. So who do you respect and admire? Yeah, I thought that, and like who would be fun for you to chat with, I thought that you might like to talk to Angela Raynar on uh, Nantucket with the Pearl. Okay. Um, she's uh, she's going to make me get a plane right, a, a flight. Oh, the, I thought the, you also <laughs> might like an, Nantucket, you know, weekend nah, coming up. Yeah. But um, just, uh, you know, they, uh, they recently sold the Pearl after I, multi-decade run and I know she's really keen on talking about the industry and her reflections and her hopes for the future so I think you'd have a lot of fun yeah I think Nantucket in general would be a lot of fun to go visit I'm sure there's tons of people we can make an example of over there uh was it Angela yes last name one more time Raynar Raynar look at him coming after you I'd love to get you on the show and uh if we really resonated with you today and um we want to hear maybe we want to come work for you or we want to ask you a question about what you had to share with us what's the best way to connect uh, bluebirdbbq.com okay. that's our website uh, and at bluebirdbbq right now is our Instagram handle or it's at Sue Betty for Instagram Sue Betty thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge your mentorship I, I, I mean this full heartedly there is no questioning you are unstoppable oh thank you buddy that <laughs> feels great thank you there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Sue Betty. Loved today's conversation. Loved talking about vulnerability. Loved talking about what leading with vulnerability looks like and just this idea that growth doesn't come from spreading yourself too thin and trying to do everything and trying to be everything to everyone. Growth really comes from getting intentional and being selective and doing a few things really well and creating opportunity for other people and surrounding yourself with people who are strong, where you're weak and extending trust. And that's where growth comes from. And um, man, on this note of growth, Restaurant Stoppable is going through its own growth period right now. Uh, I've kind of come to terms to realize that I'm not really the best community manager, but I'm a great community builder. So going forward, I think I'm going to be trying to transition away from doing uh, these lectures, these workshops remotely. I really want to go to the point where every interview that I do for Restaurant Unstoppable is in person and on site. I still want Restaurant Unstoppable Network to go strong, but I really think that I need to let go of the reins and to extend trust and to find somebody to be a community manager. I'm a community builder. I need to have somebody who's managing the network and focusing on creating dialogue and scheduling these events. And I also have to let go of control. I feel like I've been at the helm of the network and everything has been kind of bottlenecking through me. And the truth is, I mean, these people that are in the network who are the experts in the tools and services, they're in there because they've been referred to us organically and we trust them. So I need to extend that trust. And then my vision for the network going forward is to kind of just let people contribute at their will and to let to host their own lectures and workshops and to create a community around that and to create opportunity for other people. So um, my energy is going to be going back into recruiting uh, people on the road, interviewing these amazing people and just being more hands-on uh, with the the content that I'm creating, uh, improving our YouTube channel. And that's really what I think the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like. We need your support. 
So spread the word. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Join the network. Support our affiliates. Support our sponsors. Keep listening. We can't do it without you. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.